uh, today. We, uh, last week we started a, a new series, The Practice of a Godly Life. Um, and the reason we did that is because as we were doing uh, a series of the latter days, latter times, um, apostasy, we looked at that and, and uh, the Apostle Paul really um, tells us through his letter to Timothy that godliness is the antidote against deserting the faith. And so we're going to look at that uh, this evening and um, I want to pray as we get ready to start. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come before you, to be in your presence, to be able to gather together, Lord. Lord, it doesn't matter uh, how many, Lord, we gather together. You said of two or three are gathered in your name, there you will be in the midst. And we thank you, Lord, that you're with us right now. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to have your way. Lord, speak through me, Lord. I'm not sure why you would use me, Lord, but I'm thankful. I ask you to speak, Lord, to each one of us here, to those who will listen or watch later on YouTube, Facebook, wherever it is. Speak to their hearts, Lord. Oh, God, speak to our hearts today. We need to hear from you, Lord. Our hearts are attentive to you right now, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, again, last week we were talking about, uh, started this, the practice of a godly life. And Paul tells Timothy, if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and that's where we've been for several weeks here in and um, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, we find the Apostle Paul writes in, um, in verse 7 and 8, he says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wise tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. The Apostle Paul in this chapter describes to Timothy what the Spirit says about the later times and how men will abandon and desert the faith. And as a reminder, uh, the faith here means the truths of the faith. See, right there in verse 1, he says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Uh, These are what is taking place today where we are living in later times. We are living in times where some are beginning to abandon or, de- or desert the faith. They are leaving the faith. And what that means is not necessarily they're leaving Christianity per se. They're leaving the truths of the faith, the truths, the, the foundational truths of Scripture, uh, the very things that, that God's Word commands believers how to live, how to conduct themselves in life, Um, those truths, they are abandoning, they are deserting those truths and following deceiving spirits and things taught or doctrines taught by demons. Doctrine just means teaching. Again, these are things that are happening today. Um, If we open our eyes, we see these things happening. Uh, Pastors all over are teaching false things out there. Uh, Teachers are out there. There are all kinds of 
uh, deceiving uh, messages that are going on in this world. And this is what the Apostle Paul talks about. He says some will, happen, will begin to do this, and we're seeing some do this today. You see, um, I believe from the study of Scripture that be, be, to become an apostate, um, you first have to abandon the truths of the faith. When, in order for you to get to a point where you defect from the faith completely, the Christian faith, you leave it. You have to first abandon the truths. You have to exchange the truth about what God says for a lie. And as you begin to believe the lie enough, then eventually say, what's the point of me being a Christian? I might as well just let it go because it's not real because you have believed the lie. See, apostasy, that is this, this what I'm referring to, uh, is in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're, is verse 3, and it says, Do not let anyone deceive you in any way, for, what that, day will, uh, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. Again, you see here that Paul is telling the, the, the church in Thessalonica, he's telling them not uh, that the, the things aren't going to come. The day of the Lord, meaning when Jesus returns, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ will not happen until the rebellion or the apostasy happens or the apostasia happens in the Greek. Um, the falling away happens. And this is the desertion or the des defecting of the faith now. These are people who are falling away from the Christian religion period. They no longer believe it. Um, the other day I was scrolling and I saw this guy who once was a Baptist minister and now became a Muslim. How is this possible? Because at the very beginning he started at, at what Paul talked about that men would follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. He began to abandon the truths of the faith and as he did that, eventually it would lead him to a place where he would now desert the Christian faith and begin to follow a false religion. This is what happens to people. This is what can happen to you if you are not uh, in the Lord. If you are not walking with him, you will abandon the truths of the faith. And eventually you will be a defector of the faith. You will no longer follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You will turn away completely. You see... Uh, Paul also writes in 2 Timothy, says well, this, will, this will begin to happen uh, in the last days. These things would happen. Let me, let me remind you of these things. He said this in verse 3, but mark this. Mark this down. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And he says, have nothing to do with such people. Here, again, is another sign of what happens in the later times. And the only thing that you and I, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, now, obviously, you need to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I say that because uh, sometimes you assume that because we're in the church. No, not everybody who steps foot in the church or is in this building is a believer. We're all, the Bible says you are his if you have the spirit of Christ in you. And if the spirit of Christ is not in you, then you don't belong to Christ. But if Christ lives in you, then praise God, you belong to him, and he is wooing you, and he is through his spirit, causing there to be a sanctification of your life. 
That is the goal and that is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer to sanctify us so that we may be presented before Jesus Christ without spot or wrinkle. Amen? A bride without spot or wrinkle. I thank God for that. And he also says, he goes on here, and he, he talks about, in, verse, uh, in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, he also mentions, I know this is not in my notes, but I, I really felt uh, compelled to go here. Look what he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and this again, this is this, a description of these times that are, are, we're upon, that are upon us right now. He says to Timothy, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instructions. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Man, this is powerful. Paul is describing what men are like today. You know, I was having a, a conversation with a, a minister this, this week in my office, and, and um, one of the comments, he said, man, people just don't want to hear about God anymore. They don't want to hear the truth. You try to talk to somebody, they don't want to hear it. And this is what Paul was describing, the times we live in. He was saying, these are the times that are going to come. You see, there are, there are believers out there who believe there's going to be this massive revival that happens before the rapture. Uh, I, I, I don't know what scripture they're referring to. I don't know what they're thinking about. I don't see that in scripture. I believe that everything that is taking place now is a decaying of the, of the world. It's a decaying of Christianity. It's a decaying of everything. Now, those who belong to Christ will remain, obviously, and we're, there will be souls that are saved as we're preaching the gospel. But this great harvest, um, I think they're um, mistaken here. I believe the great harvest will happen after the rapture when God sends 100,000 uh, of his of his to go and preach the gospel all over the world. I believe that will be the great harvest. But what we're seeing today is a a a, con, a complete um, defecting or abandonment by people. There are people doing this. Not all. Some. It says some. Not all. Uh, praise God for that. Amen. Uh, there are because those who belong to Christ remain. Those who belong to Him stay. They don't go. They they don't leave their master. They know who has saved them, who's bought them with his precious blood. So again, um, you know, Paul, again, he tells them in, in this same, go back to 2 Thessalonians, I want you to see this, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul tells us, tells in the same chapter of this, of chapter 2 here in Thessalonians, he says that this people have defected and so perished because they did not love the truth. I want to ask you a question. Do you love God's truth? No, I didn't ask if you like to hear God's truth. I asked if you love it. Look what it says here. He says, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. 
He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish, listen to this, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For the reason God sends them a, for, excuse me, for this reason God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. See, Paul is describing what's happening here. Is it an oppor- a, a moment in time that these things are going to be going to happen, and they're going to happen because men do not love the truth. It, I mean, you know, one person that reminds me of a person, I want to give you an example here, an illustration. King Herod, in the times of uh, John the Baptist, he, he liked to hear John's messages because he knew John was right, but he didn't love the truth. Are you like King Herod? That you like to hear that crazy preacher, your crazy dad, talk about the truth, but you don't love it? And as a result, you end up like King Herod? That's something you got to ask yourself. You know, God has given me the task of taking care of you by feeding you the word of God each week. By protecting you from wolves and strengthening you when you're weak. That's the role that God has given me as a shepherd. Your responsibility as as a believer is to listen to the great shepherd of your soul, Jesus Christ, and obey his word. See, Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. See, last week, as we were in this, we were talking about the practice of a godly life again. Why did I get into all that? Because I want to, I'm trying to give you um, the antidote against abandoning the faith. And that is beginning to pursue the Lord. It's a life after the Lord. It's a heart that is devoted to God. It's a heart that looks to please God. And and this is what godliness is. Godliness is a life that's devoted to God and his desire is to love him, to fear him, and to know him. This is a heart after God. This is what God wants for all of us, to live a godly life. And he's given us everything we need. Peter writes, he's given us everything for life and godliness. Jesus Christ has given us everything. So if you remember... Um, we, I gave you five things last week concerning the, the devotion to the Word of God. This is the first practice was devotion to the Word of God. I gave you five things. Those five things were hearing the Word of God, meaning you're here every week to listen to the Word of God. You come in to hear the pastor preach the Word of God to you and feed you the Word of God in a, in a holistic way, in a way that is good and edifying, not in a false teacher or anything like that. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a pastor who is rightly dividing the word of truth. You're listening. Why? Because God has gifted men. We talked about this in Ephesians chapter 4. God has gifted these pastors and teachers to edify you, edify the body of Christ so we can reach maturity. Second one, reading the word of God daily. This is important in your life. Pick up the Bible, crack it open, and read it every day. Spend time with God daily in the Word. 
Ask him to speak to you. When you open the Bible, don't just read it like a book. Say, God, let me see Christ in the pages. Let speak to my heart today. Holy Spirit, enlighten my eyes so I can understand what I'm reading. Thirdly, meditate on the word of God. That means ponder on it. Study it. Look for the treasures that God has in the word of God. Fourthly, committing the word of God to memory. Commit the word of God. Remember the psalm, Psalm 19. How does a young man keep his way pure? By hiding the word of God in his heart. Fifthly, we learn from James that we're to practice the word of God. (laughs) Amen. We're not just to merely listen, but do what it says. Amen. That's the, and today I want to give you a second practice of a godly life. And that second practice is a life that's devoted to prayer. It's a devotion to prayer. A godly person is committed to prayer. Did you know that? People who are in love with God, in love with Jesus, and have a relationship with him are committed to prayer. See, they understand that prayer is communion with our Heavenly Father. And it is the place where we surrender our wills before him. See, when we are prayerless, when we don't pray, we just go about doing our own thing and we live for ourselves and we wonder how we got in the mess we're in, how we got in the entanglements that we're in. We're in these major entanglements. We're, we're living in sin. Or how did I get involved in this relationship? Or how did I, I, I lose this job? Or how did I get addicted to this drug? How did I get addicted to pornography? How did all of this thing happen? It happened because you were not devoted to God in prayer. And the good news, if you're a believer and you fell and you and you came into those places, the Bible says, repent, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Today is a day of salvation. Today is a day that you can get right with God. If you are a believer, you can confess your sins. And the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness, everything. Our father wants to do that, but he's holy and he's righteous And he will not allow you to continue in your way. If you belong to him, he's going to bring discipline in your life. See, Jesus gave the examples, gave this examples to his disciples, how to pray, a devoted life to prayer. Jesus, the son of God, the God himself in the flesh, gave an example for you and me to follow. Look what it says in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It says, "Very, very early in the morning, While it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And some translation says, as as was his custom. That means this was a practice of his. He practiced devotion to prayer. Oh, man, he practiced it. Uh, Luke 6, 12, it says, one of those days Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Jesus getting alone and praying. Spent the night, all night prayer. (laughs) Some of you can't pray for 10 minutes. Jesus was praying all night. He prayed all night, according to Luke 6, 12. Luke 11, 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place where when he finished, One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. I want to look at some quotes of uh, some uh, Christians of the past who talked about prayer. 
Um, this is important. Why? Because prayer, um, it is, it's like breathing air. It's air. For a person to live, they, they, they need air. They need oxygen. Well, prayer is oxygen for the believer. Leonard Ravenhill writes, The true church lives and moves and has its being in prayer. Did you hear that? The true church lives and moves and has its being in prayer. He also says, The self-sufficient does not pray. The self-satisfied will not pray. The self-righteous cannot pray. No man is greater than his prayer life. Wow. Are you self-sufficient? That's why you don't pray. Are you, are you self-satisfied? That's why you don't pray. Are you self-righteous? You think you're better than everybody. You think you're holy. You don't pray. Pretty profound words. Andrew Murray. I remember when, I, when my kids were younger, I read a book about Andrew. I read them a book on the kitchen table every every couple days uh, we would read at night and I would read about his life and ministry and this is what he said we must begin to believe that God in the mystery of prayer has entrusted us with a force that can move the heavenly world and can bring its power down to earth wow Leonard Ravenhill, once again, he said, prayer is not a preparation for the battle. It is the battle. Prayer is not a preparation for the battle. It is the battle. Amen? See, we need to understand that we need to be people who are battling in the spirit and prayer. I like this quote from Leonard Ravenhill. He said, if, I had, if we had more sleepless nights in prayer, there would be fewer souls to have a sleepless eternal night in hell. I'm going to read that again. Leonard Ravenhill said, If we had more sleepless nights in prayer, there would be far fewer souls to have a sleepless eternal night in hell. I'll tell you what, those are some strong words. Why? Because you don't understand when you pray, God uh, hears your prayer and he acts upon the prayers of his children in accordance to his will. When you and I pray according to the will of God, he acts upon that and he does mighty things. He does mighty things when we surrender ourselves to him in prayer. Let's go on here. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Because they asked him, Lord, you know, <laughs> teach us how to pray. We can ask him right now. You can ask him right now. Maybe, maybe your prayer life is minimal. You don't barely have one. You know what you could do? You could be just like the disciples right now. You could say in prayer, Lord, teach me how to pray. Teach me how to pray, Lord. Teach me how to pray like you do. And he did. He taught his disciples. We're going to look at Matthew's account of, of that moment that Jesus taught his disciples on how to pray. 
The first thing he taught them, go with me there in Matthew chapter, we're going to read it a little bit. Go with me to Matthew chapter, uh, I believe it's chapter 6. Let me get there. Excuse me. That's my fault there, my media guy. I believe we're in Matthew 6. Let me get there if I can turn these pages quick enough. Yeah. And we're going to look at verses 5 through 13. Verses 5 through 13. Let's read. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive those, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So the first thing he taught them was that prayer, your prayer life is to be done in secret. It's to be done unseen from people. The time, your, your time of prayer needs to be done in, in the secret place, in a place where you can get alone with God and you can cry out to Him. You see, uh, I, I don't, Jesus is not opposed to corporate prayer when we come together as a body of Christ and we pray together about things that are going on. It's not about that. We're talking about Jesus is kind of saying, listen, don't be like these hypocrites that they're praying so that they can be seen by men, that they're pious. Listen, pray in the secret place where your father who is unseen sees it and he will reward you in that place. Why? As we saw, you're battling right there. You're surrendering your heart. You're, you're submitting to him. You're, you're allowing God to have his way in you and you're communing with him in prayer. So this is a, po- a place where you need to, to understand that it is in the secret place with God that you humble yourself, you surrender to his will, and you intercede for others. It's in that place that you come humbly before your heavenly Father, and you surrender. I love the fact that Jesus said right there, when he taught them to pray, he said, this is how you should pray, our Father. Can I tell you, there is no other religion that calls the creator of heaven and earth Father. You and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, have the privilege to call the creator of heaven and earth, God alone, to call him Father. Uh, You want me to remind you of why we can do that? Look at John chapter 1. Look what it says here. In John chapter 1, he says, um, let's see here. Yet to all who did receive him, verse, verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of, the nat- of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. You and I, who are who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you are a child of God. And because you're a child, you can call him Abba. You can say, Father, hallelujah. You don't have to call him uh, God. You can say, Father. 
in a way of reverence and awe. You can, you can uh, uh, declare that the creator of heaven and earth is now your heavenly father. Jesus teaching his disciples to pray said, pray our father. He's your father. If you've believed on him, if the spirit of Christ dwells in you, God, the creator of heaven and earth, is your heavenly father. And we praise God for that. Secondly, he taught them to pray from the heart, not in vain repetition. Go back over there to Matthew 6. You see he, he says here in verses um, 7 and 9. Look what he says here. 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask. See, he taught them that don't be a person that just goes on and on about something. Babbling, and there's no meaning behind it. There's no heartfelt uh, meaning behind what you're praying. You're just uttering, you're a babbling idiot, right? You're just babbling, babbling. No, 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 don't do that. That's what pagans do. You know why they have to do that? Because their God is, in, is dead. It's not real. They have to, to repeat these mantras and they're praying these ba vain babbling prayers because they think maybe if they pray long enough or say long enough words, their God will listen. Hallelujah. That's not, remember, uh, I believe it's Elijah, the prophet Elijah with the prophets of Baal. When the prophets of Baal, they all got together and Elijah said, you know what? Here's what we're going to do today. All right, we're going to put this to a test. We're going to go ahead and say, listen, we're going to see who's the real God. All right. This is what we're going to do. We're all going to build an altar. And the God who answers by fire, that's the real God. And so the story goes, I'm going to paraphrase uh, the prophets of Baal. He says, well, you guys go ahead and go first. And Elijah's over here preparing his altar and he's digging a, a, drink, a, 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 a trench around it and he pours water all over. Now, you know, if you're going to try to light up wood, it can't be wet. <laughs> you want dry wood. You want things that burn quickly. Well, this man, because he had faith in the living God, he says, I'm going to go ahead and dig a trench around this altar, and I am going to flood it with water. In the meanwhile, while he's doing this, the prophets of Baal are beating themselves, they're they're repeating their prayers constant and constant and nothing is happening. And, and Elijah begins to, to mock them. He says, I guess he's not listening to you, is he? I guess he fell asleep. And uh, that's not what happened. And then Elijah calls on the name of the Lord and fire falls on the altar and consumes everything, the water, everything that was there. And the Bible says that uh, Elijah at that moment took the sword and put every one of those false prophets to death. Why would God allow him? Why would he put them to death? Because they were leading the people astray from the living God to false gods, to gods that are dead, that are mute and dumb, like they were because they were making them and fashioning them with their hands. Our God <laughs> doesn't need any of that. He's, he's, he's the amazing God. I love this. In Acts chapter 17, let me show you this. The Apostle Paul says something profound, speaking to these wise Greeks, he, he, he begins a, a powerful moment and he talks about this God. The God who made the world and everything in it, 
is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. This is God, the living God that we serve. See, God doesn't want us to be vain in our effort. That was Acts chapter 17. Um, and you can see that uh, the, Jesus is telling you, to, you don't have to be a vain, a vain, vain babbler. It, it, your many words aren't going to mean that God's going to hear you. He's not deaf. Because <laughs> he said, your heavenly father knows what you need before you even ask him. Now, it doesn't mean you don't ask him, but he knows because he's omnis, omnip, om, omniscient. He knows everything. God knows everything. One of his attributes, glory to God. <laughs> Praise God. See, we're, we need to know that, that um, it's, not the number, it's not the number of words you use, but the heartfelt words you use that God will, that, that will be heard. It's not how many words you use, it's not how many, the number of words you use, it's the heartfelt words you use that will be heard. God is hearing your heart, he's hearing your prayer. Pagans must use vain repetition because their God can't, can't hear them anyway. They just talk it to a, a, a hollow piece of wood or stone that they made or silver or whatever they decided to do. See, we serve the living God who knows what we need before we even ask him. Thirdly, he gave them an outline how to pray. You see, it's not so that we just start vainly repeating like when we play Sports, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We, I mean, I'm not downing it, but I, I mean, that's just, again, just to repeat a prayer. Um, but there's no, there was no real heartfelt words from behind that. Now, you could pray that and, be, and it be sincere in your heart, what you're asking God concerning that. But um, when I was a kid, I don't know what I was saying. I was just repeating because of what we did. We just kneeled down and prayed this, our Father who art in heaven. But I had no understanding of what this prayer meant. So the, the, the heartfelt emotion and the heartfelt words from my heart weren't there. They were, I was just vainly repeating something. But see, he goes on and he, and he gives them an outline. And Jesus, we're going to end with this. Jesus gives them an outline of prayer. And it's for us as well. The first thing he says, our, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is a prayer of praise and reverence to God. This is where you recognize that your heavenly Father is awesome in all that He is. You, you, you recognize that He is holy as Isaiah recognized in Isaiah chapter 6 when he said, In the year that the king, king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord and He was high and lifted up and the train of His robe filled the temple. Praise God. And the, the place shook, amen, every time. Uh, he, he spoke, glory to God. The, the awesome thing when, when John writes in the book of Revelation, when he sees God on his throne and how, the, uh, how the, uh, everything in front of him like rolled back like a scroll. I mean, it's incredible, the majesty and power of our God. And that is the first thing that Jesus said when you pray. Remember, praise him and, and reverence his name. Secondly, 
he, he says to them, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a, a time of surrendering your will to his. It is a time for you to surrender your will before God. You surrender and you say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Where? On earth through me as it is in heaven. God wants us to to surrender ourselves to him. And he wants us to do it willingly. (laughs) So you come and willingly surrender yourself to the Lord daily. Uh, thirdly, he, he, he says to them, give us today our daily bread. These are our prayers of petition and request. We come before our God and we, and we lay, lay uh, our requests before Him. We come with rejoicing and knowing that God hears us and we, and we pray and we intercede for other people. We pray for those who are sick in our lives. We pray uh, for our needs. We pray for, for the needs of others. We, we come and we, we come with heartfelt uh, words and begin to pray and and give those petitions and requests before God. Fourthly, he says to them, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. You see, Jesus also gave them this part of the outline that we're to be in, we're to come in repentance and, 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 and offer forgiveness in our prayer. We're to come in repentance for what we have done. Uh, things that we know we've done or things we may have not understood that we've done. We, the sins of omission and, and uh, commission. That we see it or we don't know it, but we see it. And we know that God knows our hearts and we come in a heart of repentance. And we come and, and not as a Pharisee, oh God, I w- I'm glad I'm not like this person. No, we come, Lord, I'm not where I need to be and I need you. And I, and I come to you, God, and help me to forgive others who, who've sinned against me as I have sinned against you and you forgive me. You remember uh, John writes and he says that we're to forgive uh, each other's grievances just as our Heavenly Father has forgiven us. Look what he says here. If you go on to read there in verse 14, he says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. See, uh, let's finish up this last part. Uh, the fifth part of the outline that Jesus gives them on how to pray, because they ask us, he, the, the question was, teach us how to pray, and he's teaching them here. The last one is, and lead us not, in verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is a prayer of deliverance from evil. This is saying, God, help me to stay with you. Deliver me from the attacks and the temptations that I'm going to be. Show me the way of escape. I want to, I, that I may be able to stand in that moment. See, this is the place of battle. By prayer, we need it. We need to be people of prayer. So I want you to understand that God wants you to come in a place, in that moment, and say, God, deliver me from the evil one. Deliver me when Satan wants to come and sift me as wheat. Help me, Lord. Strengthen me in your love. Strengthen me in your power through the Holy Spirit in my life. And God will do it because he hears us. And I want to end with this. I want to end with this. One of my favorite scriptures. One of my favorite scriptures in 1 John chapter 5. I want you to look at verses 14. 14 through 15. He says, this 
is the confidence we have in approaching God. <laughs> that if we ask anything according to his will, his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked him for. Hallelujah. That's good news. That we know that he hears us, and if we know that he hears us, we know that we have what we asked him for. Our Heavenly Father loves us, and he wants to answer prayer in your life. And that prayer will be according to his will. Amen? Man, I don't know about you, but that has encouraged me today. That's edified me. It's reminded me the importance of prayer in my life. And I pray that this word would remind you the importance of praying in your life and surrendering your will to God. And have come to communion with God, come to a place that you're fellowshipping with him. Let's pray as we get ready to end. Father, I thank you so much for your word today, for reminding us of this practicing of a godly life, being devoted to prayer. Lord, we come to you today and ask you, teach us how to pray, Lord. Teach us how to pray. Teach us to be uh, devoted to you, not only in your word, but in prayer. Surrendering our hearts to you, bringing our petitions and requests before you, Lord. Asking you, Lord. Surrendering our wills before you, God. Asking you to deliver us from evil. Repenting. And, and offering forgiveness to others, Lord. God, have your way in delivering us from the evil one. Lord, help us today in our weakness. Holy Spirit, we thank you that when we don't know how to pray, you intercede for us. That you, that prayer, that, that the words that, we, that come out of us, Lord, that we don't even understand. But it's a praying in accordance with the will of God. I thank you, Lord, that everything will be answered in its time. And, Lord, help us to be found faithful until you come, Lord. We love you, and God's people said, amen. God bless you.